0: Good morning, church. The Bible reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 38, verses 6 to 16, 24 to 27, Matthew 1, verses 1 to 3. When I finish, I would say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, Thanks be to God. Judah got a wife for her, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But ere Judah's firstborn was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law, to raise off offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be eased, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timna, to the men who were sharing his ship, and his friend, Hira, the Adulamite, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timna to share his ship, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Ennahim, which is on the road to Timna. For she saw that, though Shela had not grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her born to death. And as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father in law. I am pregnant by the man who owns this, she said. And she added, See if you recognize this seal and cord and staff, this her. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shela. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah son of David the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brother, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning church. Good morning. All right. Um, firstly, I want to thank Muni for your comments. Thank you so much normal sized preacher thank you thank you means a lot to me (laughs) merry christmas everybody yeah yeah thanks um let's just pray together as we invite god um, to bless his word preaching of his word lord we thank you for today. It is a day you have made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for, word, for what your word is capable of doing. Lord Jesus, we commit this preaching into your hands, O oh God. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space. We ask, oh God, that you impress your word upon the hearts of each and every one of us in the name of Jesus. We ask, oh God, that as we examine your word, your words will come alive. Your words will minister to us. Your words will change those that need to be changed. Your words will convert those that need to be converted. Your word will heal those that need to be healed. Your word will deliver those that need to be delivered. Your word will come like a sword. Your word will come like an armor. Your word will come like water, washing us, cleansing us in the mighty name of Jesus. At the end of this sermon, at the end of this service, we have the full cause to glorify your name in Jesus' mighty name. We pray. Amen. 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 All right. Um, The title of my sermon is God Loves the Prop. God loves the prop. Can you say that after me? God God. loves the prop. prop. God. God loves the prop. I know some of you are probably wondering, okay, what is this guy up to, all right? Um, I'm going to explain in a bit, but by way of, um, like, further introduction, we're actually in some kind of a mini-series, all right, that actually started kind of last week at the carol service. I'm going to watch around for the carol service, all right? And uh, it was amazing, the sound, the drama, the music. God was glorified, right? Pastor preached a sermon, right, and he titled it what? The story behind the Christmas story, right? And so what we tried to do is to kind of Grow that sermon's kind of a series. So today is going to be the story behind the Christmas story part two, right? And next week is going to be the story behind the Christmas story part part three. So today's sermon is what we have then titled God Loves the Prop. Just Thinking about the idea of the story behind the Christmas story, many of us understand and know how beautiful the Christmas story is. The Christmas story is a story of how a virgin came under the power of the Holy Spirit and she was conceived of a baby without interacting with any man at all. The story of Christmas is a story of beauty. It's a story of victory. It's a story that is so beautiful. Is a story that tells how God brings seemingly insignificant men like the shepherds and bring them before, give them a front stage, to a front row seat to witness his redemption, to witness his salvation. It's a, it's a story that is so amazing that when the baby Jesus was born, the sky split in two and the angels declared glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. It's a story of divine direction. The Bible says at a particular point, the star appeared in the east, right? And the wise men followed the star over mountains, through deserts, down the valleys, all the way to Bethlehem, and the star took them to a manger. There you have the first GPS system, right? That didn't fail at all. It's a story of divine direction. It is a story of how the battle was actually over the moment God actually stepped on the stage of humanity. Because look at what the angels said. They said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to all men. This was before Jesus did anything. Jesus had not died. Jesus had not healed anybody. But just the idea that God is now with man already warranted people to start giving worship to God. This is reminiscent of a time in 1 Samuel chapter 4 or chapter 5 where the children of Israel were fighting the Philistines. The Bible said they, won- they lost the first battle. And so they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp. And the Bible says there was a great shout, right? And the Philistines said something. The Bible says Philistines were scared. And they said, a God is among them. But we know that that was, not, that was not true because God was not with Israelites and the Philistines were wrong because it wasn't a God that was among them. It was the God that was with them. In 2000, about thousands of years after that particular incident, the story then comes and it is not the Israelites that are rejoicing. It is heaven that is rejoicing because a man called Emmanuel, God with us, has now come upon the stage. This is the Christmas story. It's a story of God with us. It's an amazing story. It's a story of how an evil king attempted to kill the king of kings, but we know how that story ends, right? The king of kings will always outlive any king that we can put upon any throne because he is Lord. It's a Christmas story. The Christmas story is amazing. It is beautiful. But many of us are familiar with this idea that behind every beautiful story, many times, are a couple of ugly stories. Let me make the point a little bit more. Um... Younger millennials and Gen Zs, will understand what I'm about to say a little bit better, right? It's an unspoken truth, but we all know it. For every one picture that eats your Instagram feed, there are about 10 to 11 other ugly pictures that will die in your gallery. You know what I'm talking about. So we tend to actually bring out the good side of us to reveal the good pictures. But this is what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 1. The Bible says this is the genealogy. Of Jesus Christ. And you would expect him to put the Christmas story on the stage. To put the Christmas picture on his own Instagram feed. But Jesus says, no. You know those pictures that are supposed to die in the gallery? I will put them here as well. If you read the genealogy all the way to the end, they are not, or they are not great pictures. They are ugly pictures. They are stories. The story behind the Christmas story are stories of men like Manasseh. He was the most evil king Israel ever had. He was so evil. He caused his children to walk through the fire and sacrifice a particular God. The stories behind the Christmas story are not beautiful stories at all. They are stories of betrayal. They are stories of how a king would kill his most loyal servant just so he could marry his wife. They are not beautiful stories. They are stories of brothers selling out brothers, stories of incest, envy, jealousy. These are stories that we would rather Jesus should put them in his gallery. And if we're Jesus' social media manager, right? And let's assume, Just imagine, we're a social media manager and you're just on his phone and you're like it's Christmas morning, just has posted his picture, Christmas story. And you're just going through the gallery and you see Manasseh. And you're like, ah, Jesus, this is not good for the brand. You know what I'm talking like, Why, why? This is an ugly picture. This is an ugly story. Jesus, better still, don't let it even remain in your gallery. Take it to the trash can. Delete it. These are not the kind of pictures you want to identify with Jesus. I could almost hear Jesus responding, oh, do not judge my story based on that picture because the story is not over until you get to me. Can I say that again? So they're coming and they're checking the pictures and they're scrolling through the gallery. And they're like, Jesus, this is not good for the brand. Jesus is saying, do not judge my story based on that picture. My story, this story is not over until you get to me. Listen, you might be here and you might be going through a lot of things such that if they take a picture of your life right now, it is an ugly picture. Jesus is saying to you, do not judge your story. Don't let the world judge your story because your story is not over until we get to Jesus. And then you might then begin to say, "I'm a Christian. I've given my life to Jesus, right? What are you talking about? You see, there's this thing called the Advent. The Advent means the coming of a notable person. Now, many times we usually identify the Advent with the first coming of Jesus, his birth." But in Christianity, there are actually two advents. There is the first coming of Jesus and the second coming. So in the actual sense, your life is in between two advents. So you might be having an ugly picture right now, but Jesus is saying, your story is not over until I come again. Until the second advent, your story is not over. Do not let anyone judge that story for you. Because when Jesus comes, He will replace be give beauty for ashes, all of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Every test shall be quenched, every hunger satisfied, all tears shall be wiped away. Can you repeat after me? My story is not over until we get to Jesus. My story is not over until we get to Jesus. Glory to God. So, what we're going to try to do today. Is to zoom into one of those seemingly ugly pictures. Just get, take a closer look, and um, the story we are going to be examining today is the story of Tamar. Now, when the Bible reading was going on, you read the story, and was like, "Is that really in the Bible?" Like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But the question is, why would Jesus want us to zoom into this story? What, what does Jesus want us to learn? I believe that what God wants us to learn from Tamar's story is that God loves the prop. Amen. Now, so at this point, you're probably wondering, so what is a prop? Right? What is a prop? So um, a prop is from, okay, the etymology, right? It actually means support. A prop actually means support so in communication a prop is usually used to make a point are you with me so if i take um let's assume i take um an shoe, right and i start bending it i'm bending it i'm bending it and i say if a man is in christ no matter how the world bends you you cannot break you get it you get it now the prop is the okurikashu the point is what if you're in christ the world cannot break you are you with me So the the prop is usually used to support a point, is usually used to make a point. Also, maybe in drama, in acting, a prop is usually used to do what? To embellish, to sort of um, glorify the main actor. But I'm going to try to extend the definition of what a prop really is a little bit, just for the sake of this conversation. A supporting actor is actually doing the work of a prop. Right? Because just in the word, the, the, word, the word is support, is supporting the main actor. He's only there, his only role is to make the main actor look more beautiful, is to bring out the character of the main actor. So many times, nobody cares about the prop. The point could almost be made without the prop some of the time. In fact, many times we don't care about the supporting actor, all we care about is the who? The main actor. So nobody cares about Ned when you ask Spider Man, you get what I'm talking about? I'm going to wonder who is Ned? Exactly. exactly Ned is Spider-Man's best friend in case you were wondering nobody cares about Alfred the butler when you have Batman, nobody cares about the prop when you have the point, nobody cares about the supporting actor when you have the main actor but for many of us and, and this is what I believe God is trying to say to us today that in the actual sense all of us are props all of us are props there is this feeling that, you know, what you understand about a prop is that a prop is not that significant. It's not really doing, it's not making a mark like the main actor is actually doing. So we usually have this feeling of, for lack of better, because I don't have any words to use, feeling of propism, right? It's the feeling of propism. You, you want to be significant. You want to make a mark. You don't want to be a supporting actor in another person's story. And so the world tries to solve that problem for you. Have you heard this this saying before? They were saying, um, salary is what people give you so that you can forget your dreams. What are they telling you? They're saying, stop being a supporting actor to another person's dream. Step out and be a main actor in your own story. So one of the ways the world tries to deal with the issue of propism is, if you have money, if you have money, you will do significant things. If you have money, you will have value. If you have money, people will not look over you anymore. People will accept you. Another way the world tries to deal with the issue of propism is power. Because we all know if a man has power, every other person is a prop to his story. If a man has power, if a man has influence, then he can do significant things. Another way the world tries to deal with the issue of propism is love. Oh, you need someone to love you. It's not enough for your family to love you. It's not enough for your friends to love you. It's not enough for your community to love you. You need someone that you can love and will love you back. You need to stop being a prop to another couple story. You need to stop being a third way. And so they tell you what? Get a lover. Get someone that will love you. And get someone you can love back. Be a main actor in your own story. So the world tells you to deal with the feeling of propism in three ways. Get money. Get power. And get what? Get love. But what I'm actually proposing to us is this. That no matter how rich you are, you are simply a rich prop. No matter how powerful you are, you are still a powerful prop. No matter how loved you are, you are simply a prop that is loved. You cannot escape the feeling of prophecy, no matter what you do. Because one of the things about a main actor is this. For a main actor to be a main actor, the story must start with him, and the story must end, must end with him. That's why the story of the world starts in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God, and when you to Revelation chapter 22, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Behold, I am coming, and my reward is in my hand. Every other person in between is only a prop to the story of God. So there is nothing you can do to escape the feeling of being a prop. And so what the world tries to tell you to do is this: you know what? You can be a you can you can change your status. So the way to escape the feeling of propism, the way to matter is if you actually change your status. But I'm proposing, the Bible is proposing to you that the solution to your feeling of propism is not a change of status, it's a change of story. Can I say that again? The solution to your feeling of propism is not a change of status. It is a change of story. Because a prop is only as important as the point it is making. A supporting actor is only as important as the main actor that he is supporting. Let me use an analogy to help us. Alright. Let's assume there's nothing you can do, you will always be a PA. Alright? Let's assume there is nothing you can do. You will always be a PA. The solution to your issue is not to look for how necessary to change your status as a PA. That is going to fail. Your solution is to look for somebody else, the good and important person to be a PA too. So Dangote's PA is not Pastor Femi's PA. There are levels to this. Are you with me? Are you with me? This is not to say that my pastor is not significant. He is. I'm only using that as a prop to make a point. You get what I mean? A prop is only as important as the point it is trying to make. So what you need is not a change of status. What you need is a change of story. And by the time we examine the story of Tamar, that is what you should look out for. That is what you will find there. You see, the story of Tamar starts in Genesis chapter 38. Uh, It starts in Genesis chapter 38. But for us to understand what's happening in Genesis chapter 38, you you need to understand what's happening in the book of Genesis. Right? So, God created um, the heavens and the earth, chapter 1. God created man in his own image, created Adam and Eve, put them in a garden. Right? They sinned against him, and God cast them out of the garden. Right? They no longer had a relationship with God. They no longer were a prop in God's story. God had taken them out of his story. But God's plan was to include man back in his story. Right? And so, he walks up to a guy called who? Abraham. And he says, in blessing, I will bless you. Through your family, through your lineage... The whole world shall be blessed. So Abraham gives birth to Isaac. Isaac gives birth to Jacob. Jacob gives birth to how many boys? Twelve. Twelve boys. And so we get to Genesis chapter 37. And what the Bible does is to zoom into the story of two of those boys. In Genesis chapter 37, the story zooms into the story of the Bible zooms into the story of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 38, it zooms into the story of Judah. So in Genesis 37, um, Joseph is the 11th boy, the 11th son, and there is no other way to say this other than he was a sports brat, right? And um, it gets to a point where um, his brothers sold him, all right? Now, if you're a firstborn or you have younger ones, you know the feeling. You know what I'm talking about. At one point, you've thought about it. Let me just sell this person. Don't don't worry, we're in church. All of us, we are forgiven, all right? So, but think about it. You didn't go through with it. Why? Because, I mean, They are are spoilt and all, but they are still the second one, right? Sharon, God bless you. (laughs) But think about how spoilt you have to be for your brothers to conceive it, and they did it. It was spoilt. In fact, guess what? Initially, they wanted to kill him. They said they wanted to kill him, to do away with him. So Judah, the story we're going to find in Genesis chapter 38, comes and says, you know what? Uh -uh. Let's use our head. Kill him. Waste pound of flesh. No. Let's sell him and make money in the process. So they do away with Joseph, and then they come to Jacob and they kill a goat, they stutter, the blood was all over, and they covered Joseph's clothes, and they presented it to Judah, and they said, "Do you recognize this?" Judah, I'm um, Jacob brother. Jacob was heartbroken, and the Bible then says, "After this, that's what happens in Genesis chapter 38 verse one, that's where we are. After this, Judah left the community. But the point I'm trying to make is this, that the story of Genesis 38 is actually not about Tamar. It's about Judah. Judah is the main character in the story, and there are various ways I could attempt to prove this to you. I'm going to choose one. You see, in the book of Genesis, there's this theme, there is this idea that runs through the book of Genesis. It's the idea of two brothers and God picking one and not picking the other. I we together. So we get to Adam. Adam gives birth to how many boys? Three, but the story zooms into two, right? Cain and Abel. God picks Abel and doesn't pick Cain. We get to Abraham. Abraham actually had multiple sons, but the story zooms into two. God picks Isaac and he rejects who? Ishmael. The story goes on and we get to Isaac. Isaac is better to two. God picks who? Jacob. And the story reject and God rejects who? Esau. Jacob has 12 boys, but the story zooms into two. Joseph and Judah. So the question then stands, Who will God pick? And we get to Genesis chapter 49. And the Bible says the scepter of rulership shall not depart from who? From Judah. And this is the story of Judah. Judah is actually the main point of Genesis 38. Tamar is simply a problem. And so the story starts with Judah. So for us to understand Tamar, we sort of need to think about Judah a little bit. And so the story goes on. The Bible says Judah left... covenant family judah left his brothers right and that was some like that's because to sin basically he left the covenant family it's like somebody leaving the church that kind of a thing so he left the covenant family he goes ahead to marry a canaanite wife at the time god actually didn't want them to mix with the people of the land so it was like a sin that was leading to another sin i mean i was familiar with that story the way the devil actually tempts you you've done this one wrong why don't you just do the next one to cover it up right But that was what Judah was experiencing. Judah eventually marries a Canaanite woman, and um, her name was Shua, and um, they gave birth to three boys, um, Er, Onan, and Sheila. I don't understand why you name a boy Sheila, but his name is Sheila, all right? (laughs) Just for the sake of this conversation. So, Er, Onan, and Sheila. And it gets to a point where Judah says, you know what? I'm going to get a wife for my son, Er, and that is how we get introduced. To Tamar. The Bible says that God, God killed her because he was wicked. Pause. Most of us do silly things, don't we? Almost every day. Most of us do wicked things. Yeah, it's true. But how wicked can you be? For God to be like, ah ah, yon is too much. Let's end your story. That was how bad this guy was. That was how bad he was. Some Jewish, some Jewish, some Jewish um, teachers, some Jewish literatures actually believe that El was so bad, all he was doing sexually with the woman was pleasuring himself. Tamar was actually a virgin when he died. So he was simply using her to pleasure himself and not giving her anything. So the first picture we have of Tamar is her, a picture of her being used by another man. But the story continues and so Judah comes on stage and he's like, there's this idea called the Levite marriage. This is like a precursor to the kinsman Redeemer idea that we've been studying in the Book of Ruth. So what the Levite marriage simply means is the father-in-law would, the the father-in-law of the deceased would get the brother of the deceased to marry the wife of the deceased so that they can give birth to continue the name of the deceased, you get what I'm talking, right? So that was what Judah actually did. So Judah calls Onan and says, perform your duty to tamar you have a duty to tamar perform your duty to tamar raise sons for your brother and that is where we get to the part where you're going yeah so he starts to sleep with her and when he's about to ejaculate he'll pull out and pour his stuff on the floor the bible says god killed him and so you have this picture again of another man using tamar simply to get his own pleasure, not giving her anything. I know many people have come to this text, and maybe you heard it before in church, they've used this text to talk about how you shouldn't use birth control. All right, so don't, don't pull out, don't do other stuff. No. This story is not about that, something more is going on here. Because if Onan actually got Tamar pregnant, the children of Tamar at that point have a right to the firstborn portion of the inheritance. So that was what the issue was. The issue was greed, not, not birth control. You understand what I'm saying? So, in fact, the story is more similar to when you actually use somebody for emotional satisfaction, for sexual satisfaction, for some form of financial satisfaction, and you're not giving doing your own duty back to them. That is how much God hates that. It's not about birth control, it's about that kind of an attitude. And so, and so again, you find the first man uses Tamar doesn't give her anything. The second man uses Tamar, doesn't give her anything. The third man is Judah. So Judah, there's one last one, Sheila. Sheila, the, the guy that was supposed to be a girl. Anyway, Sheila, right? So, <laughs> so it's Sheila. Sheila is left. Sheila is left. And, and so it was Judah's responsibility to give Sheila to Tamar. But the Bible says, Judah actually sent her home. He said, go and be a widow. He said, when the time comes, I will send Sheila to you. Or well, he said, Perhaps this person is going to die as well. So he never intended, totally sensual. So you find the first man abusing Tamar and using her, the second man using her, and the third man accusing her and saying it is a force that those two men actually did what they did. And maybe some people can relate to this story. And so it is a bad story. Like, it's like you're, looking, you're reading this story, and again, women reading this story at this point, we're just looking at this story and be like, it kind of feels like God is saying that men has come. You know what I'm talking about? Just, just kind of. Men has come. But the story doesn't end there. Because after a while, Judah loses his wife, right? He gets comforted for a bit. And then Tamar realizes that it's as if this man is not going to give me Sheila, right? And so she devises a plan. She covers up herself, acts like a prostitute, sits by the roadside. Judah is coming from a party. He sees her. And then he walks up to her, and he goes, um, you know, of course, how much for a night? And um, and Tamar is like, um, give me a goat. And, she, and he says, I don't have a goat. Tamar says, okay, give me your staff. This part was not in the reading. Give me your staff. Give me your cord. Give me your seal. This was equivalent to saying, give me your credit card and all your passwords. That was what she was asking. And then, um, well, in Judah's defense, body I would. So he carried, and he gave her. So the deal was, they're going to sleep, and by the time he goes back home, he'll get the goat and send it back to her. Now, she carries the staff, the cord and the seal, and she runs back home. Right? He comes back the next day with the goat. They didn't find Tamar at all. He forgets about the whole issue. Three months later, Tamar is pregnant. And they report the issue to Judah. What does Judah say? Judah says, burn her. The hypocrisy, guys. You lose one spouse, it's okay for you to sleep around. She loses two, but it's not okay for her to sleep around. They shouldn't burn you, but they should burn her. And so when they say burn her, do not think that this story is about how, you know, we're about to burn Tamar. Tama, be careful. Don't use your leg to eat the floor. Just walk here. We're going to burn you over there. That's not what's happening. Have you ever seen a mob before? When mobs are dealing with people, before they get to the final judgment, they're already judging you. They are slapping you. So you can see the picture. They are hitting Tamar, slapping her. Maybe someone is going to carry a stone and hit it on her head. And all the while, she just holds on to something and she keeps on going. And they are hitting her. They are trying to remove her clothes. They are trying to ridicule her. And she just keeps on holding on to that one thing. It gets to particular and she then just shouts, stop. And you can imagine all of them stop. Because if an offender, she doesn't have that kind of authority. right? So they stop. And she brings out the staff. And the cord and the seal. And she says, Do you recognize this? The owner of this is the father of my baby. And at this point, if you're a man and you are reading the story, there's something you want to say. Fear woman. Right. If life has not taught you anything, let the scripture teach you today. Fear what? Fear woman. Fear woman. The story also continues and Judah then says, release her probably because she's more righteous than I am. No, he didn't say she's righteous and I am not. No, he says she's more righteous than I am. Something else is going on in the text. He's saying in relation to being wrong, she's more right. This is not to say that what Tamar did was acceptable. This is not to say that what Tamar did was good. So imagine there's a scale of, righteousness and zero is the minimum righteousness every other thing here plus one plus two you have extra righteousness every other thing here minus 10 minus 20 you have unrighteousness so what judah is saying is if my own unrighteousness is minus 40 tamar's unrighteousness is minus 20. she's closer to being right than i am and right here you have this story we can come to this with the 21st century mindset and then begin to argue like acrimony going to remember acrimony this story this is, this is a great setting, by the way. You can, you can actually tell this to a movie. I actually come and he's, like, and he's like, no, 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 how can it be Judah's fault? You know, to suppose I want to argue for how we should fear women. How can it be Judah's fault? Did he know? You married the first one, he died. You married the second one, he died. What should I think? So it's not Judah's fault. And the women are going to come and going to say but the first one used him used her the second one used her how was she supposed to survive and we're going back and forth back and forth trying to solve our 21st century problems political problems but the biblical narrative was not written to help us solve our 21st century political problems it was written to help us solve our 21st century or rather still an internal sinful problem that was why the bible was written it was written for us to pick sides god is not picking sides the issue is not whether we should fear men Oh, we should fear women. That is not the point at all. Something more beautiful is going on in the text. Something more glorious. Because, you see, Tama knew that she was a prop. She knew. Because in those days, women were props to men. It was a patriarchal society. And so when you're a woman, you simply give birth to the child so that the man can say, I have people to pass down my inheritance to. But more so as we've already tried to show that this text is actually about Judah. But Tamar knew that there's nothing I can do. I'm always going to be a prop in this story. Tamar didn't attempt to change her status. She attempted to remain a part of Judah's story even when Judah was trying to kick her out of it. And so she schemed her way. She manipulated her way just to remain in that person's story because she understood if I'm going to be a problem, be a prop to Judah's story. But you see, this was the problem. I have said something before, okay, maybe I didn't say, it, but there's something you need to know. That the role of a prop, the role of a supporting actor only continues as long as the story of the main actor is still being told. So if she joins herself to Judah, the moment Judah dies, her story is over. She cannot be that significant. She cannot be that powerful. What Tamar needed to do is to join herself to a story of a main character that will never die anymore. That is the story of Christmas. But the problem was that story was thousands of years to come. So there was no way for Tamar to scheme her way up to that story. The only option was for the main character of that story to carry his own story and attach himself to Tamar's story. The story of Tamar is not the story of how Tamar joined herself to God's story. It's a story about God joined himself to Tamar's story. That was the point. That God cares about the props. This is not a story of whether whether men has come or women has come. This is a story about how God cares about Tamar. That there is nothing Tamar could do, that there is nothing Tamar could conceive in her mind that can get her into a better story. But Jesus way before she could even conceive of it already schemed this way. ...and joined himself into our story. Isn't this the story of Christmas? That it was not that we are able to rise up to the highest heavens... ...but that God stepped into the story of humanity... ...reached down into the deepest parts of our hearts... ...and became part of our story. Isn't this the story of the incarnation? Not that we rose above, but that God came down. Isn't this the gospel? That there is nothing that we can do. There is nothing good in us... ...that we could ever conceive or achieve... ...that will make God to love us. But the gospel is that God loves you in spite of your own problems, in spite of your sin, in spite of your issue. Not that you could reach to God, but that God could reach to you. The story of Tamar is that God loves the prop. The question then is, what shall we do? God has attached himself to our story. What will we do? That's what the Bible is asking you today. You have only one option. To be the biggest and the best prop the world has ever seen. There is nothing else we can do. We have no other choice. Because now, we are part of a bigger story. Now, we are no longer part of the story of our family. Many of us actually come from, in quotes, bad lineages your fathers have messed up your mothers have messed up the story of the gospel is that they are not your true family you are part of a bigger story you have been joined to a better story because god joined himself to you we have no choice but to be the best prop the world has ever seen we have no choice but to be a prop that is so good that when they see us all they see is christ jesus we are so good that we, we point to Jesus so much. Listen, there's something we do. There's something Pentecostals in Nigeria do. in Nigeria do, And sometimes we criticize it. We laugh at it. You've heard of this thing before. The God of Adeboye will do it for me. The God of Oedeko will do it for me. And then you laugh about it. But you're missing the point. You're actually missing the point. Most of the time, they are calling upon the God of Adeboye because of what God has done for Adeboye. That Adeboye is a prop to a point. Adeboye is not the point, the point is Christ Jesus, and that's what they are trying to connect to. That we will be that kind of a church. That the things that God will do in our lives, that the things that God will do through us will be so good. People can actually say, The God of City Church will do it for you. That's where we are going. We are part of a bigger story. Can you project Acts chapter 1 for me? You are part of a story. Listen, Let me even say this. We commission members today. Praise God for the members that we commission. You've not been joined to the story of City Church. There is a grander story that existed before City Church ever came to be. That is what you have been joined to. City Church is only a prop to a particular point. Christ is the point. You've not been commissioned to join us. No, you have been commissioned to join who? Him. Acts chapter 1. You see, the writer, of the writer of the book of Acts is the guy called Luke. One of the greatest historians the world has ever seen. And he wrote, he said, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Emphasis on the word began. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He wrote that in the book of Luke. So when you read the Gospels, what you will find is the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. But when you get to the book of Acts, what you will find is the things that Jesus continues to do and to teach. That is why when in Acts chapter 3, when Peter healed the guy at the beautiful gate, what did he say? They said, how did you do this? He said, it is not by my power. He said it is faith in him. In the name of Jesus. Do you realize what you say when you call upon God every time you pray? That in the name of Jesus, let this person be healed. In the name of Jesus, let this thing happen. In whose name? Jesus' name. Who is doing it? Jesus is still doing it. So in the gospel, you find the story of what that Jesus began to do and teach. In the, in the act of the apostles, you find the story of what that Jesus continues to do and to teach. In the story of city church, we should find the story. Of all that Jesus is also continuing to do and to teach. Note, he didn't just say to teach. It's not enough to be a preacher of the word. It's not enough that we are the biblical church. The text is all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Jesus had the treasurer, so he was giving to the poor. And it's a good thing that we have justice initiative. But that wasn't all that was saying. He was performing miracles too. The story that we are a part of, the author of that story, if we are going to be great props, our lives as a church, our lives as individuals have to contain the things that Jesus taught and the things that he did. Do not be mediocre in your thinking. You are part of a bigger story. Do not think small. The story you you are a part of is the story of creation. Do not think small. Do not be so mediocre to think that God is only giving you money for your family and for vacation. No. Do not be so mediocre to think that because I'm a stay-at-home mom, all that God is going to tell me to do is to raise nice kids. No. You are part of a bigger story. Do not be mediocre. As a church, as a church, God has blessed us this year. Do not be mediocre. This is the, God has not started with us. There are still dimensions that God wants us to experience. There are still places that God wants us to get to. We are part of a bigger story. Do you realize that the power that brought forth creation, see the power that is at work in City Church, the power that created all things is at work here right now. Think about that. The power that created all things is at work in us, in City Church, right here, right now. Mediocrity is an insult to that power mediocrity is an insult to the actor that we are actually supporting. We are part of a better story. This is why we pray. Oh, next year is coming. Don't run from prayer days. Don't run from prayer as you go. This is why we fast, this is why we study. This is why we join community. This is why we do all that we are doing. That we are part of a bigger story and we are a prop. And we must make the point look really good. Next year is coming. Tell God, I want to be a prop again. You didn't need to pray at all. Start praying five minutes. Pray. It was 10 before making it 30. It was one hour. Make it one and a half. Don't be mediocre. Don't settle. You are part of a better story. Please don't tell me you don't have time. Netflix disagrees with you. The traffic disagrees with you. What do you do during traffic? Complain about how bad things are. That can be your prayer time. Instead of complaining about how bad things are, why don't you speak to God about how good you want things to be? You are part of a bigger story, guys. Do not settle. Do not settle. When I say God loves the prop and I love Tamar, it's not that he just loves Tamar because he wants to use Tamar as a prop. He loves Tamar for Tamar. He loves the prop for the prop. Because at the end of the story, what do you find? Tamar eventually has twins, doesn't she? Two boys. And those boys now have a right to the inheritance. So Tama was going to have money. Amen. But because they also have a right to the inheritance, Tama was going to have influence, she was going to have power. So two down want to go. One thing that Tama didn't have is love. She didn't have love. And no matter how she tried, she was still not going to get love from Judah. But there is something, like I said, we've already discussed it. It's beautiful that is happening in the story. Tamar needed to realize, and you need to realize, that Tamar was no longer a prop to Judah's story. She was now a prop to another person's story. Because in Genesis, the text reads, this is the genealogy of Jesus. That Tamar was no longer a prop to Judah the man. She was now a prop to Judah the God. She was no longer a prop to a father who was willing to withhold his own son from her. She was now part of a story of a father who was willing to give his only begotten son so he can marry Tamar. She was no longer a part of a story where Sheila was silent throughout the story. She was part of a greater story where Sheila speaks and he says no one takes my life from me I give it to you listen Tama eventually married Sheila Tama eventually got to be with the person she loves or the person that would love her not Sheila the son of Judah or Sheila the son of God and then you can then say but she was dead so she didn't really enjoy the love of Sheila don't forget what I said. That the story of the prop continues as long as the story of the point is still being made. The story of the main actor continues as long as the story of the supporting our character continues as long as the story of the main character continues. As long as Jesus is alive, Tama is alive as long as Jesus is alive Tamar is married Tama is no longer a victim Tama's story is not the story of men that were evil to her, and so God struck them Tama's story is the story of even though in spite of her evil this person came married her and still died so that she can live again that is your story guys that is your story, guys. You are not part of a story of a father that is willing to withhold from you. You are part of a story that is father to a father who is willing to give his son. Even if he means he's going to cut the son his life, he will still give it to you. If he did not spare his own son, will he not also with him freely give you all things? Can you rise your feet as we worship God together?
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.